0: Section 29 of Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Cambridge Medieval History, Volume 1. Section 29. Chapter 8, The Dynasty of Valentinian and Theodosius the Great by Norman H. Baines. Part 4 Fortune now favoured Theodosius. Fritigern, his most formidable opponent, was dead, and at length the pride of the aged Athanarich was broken. Wearied out by feuds among his own people, he, together with his followers, sought refuge amongst his foes. On the 11th of January 381, he was welcomed beyond the city walls, by Theodosius and escorted with all solemnity and kingly pomp into the capital. Fourteen days later he died and was buried by the emperor with royal honours. The magnanimity of Theodosius and the respect paid to their great chieftain did more than many military successes to subdue the stubborn Gothic tribesmen. We hear of no more battles and in the following year peace was concluded. Saturninus was empowered to offer the Goths new homes in the devastated districts of Thrace and the victors of Hadrianople became the allies of the empire, pledged in the event of war to furnish soldiers for the imperial army. Themistius, the Quarterator, could express the hope that when once the wounds of strife were healed, Rome's bravest enemies would become her truest and most loyal friends. Peace was hardly won in the East before usurpation and murder threw the West into turmoil. In the early years of the reign of Gratian, Christian and pagan alike had been captivated by the grace and charm of their youthful ruler. His military success against the Lentiensis, his heroic efforts to bring help to the East in her darkest hour, and the loyal support which he had given to Theodosius, only served to heighten his popularity. The Orthodox found in him a fearless champion of their cause. The incomes of the Vestal Virgins were appropriated in part for the relief of the Imperial Treasury and in part for the purposes of the public post. In future, the Immemorial Sisterhood was to hold no real property whatever. The altar and statue of victory which Julian had restored to the Senate House and which the tolerance of Valentinian had permitted to stand undisturbed were now ordered to be removed. 382. Damasus, Bishop of Rome, and Ambrose, Bishop of Milan, claiming to represent a Christian majority in the Senate, prevailed upon the Emperor to refuse to receive an embassy headed by Symmachus of the leading pagans in Rome and the church was overjoyed at the uncompromising zeal of their emperor but the radiant hopes which men had formed of gratian were not fulfilled his private life remained blameless and he was still liberal and humane but affairs of state failed to interest him and he devoted his days to sport and exercise his love for the chase became a passion and he would take part in person in the wild beast hunts of the amphitheatre. Emergencies which, in the words of a contemporary, would have taxed the statesmanship of a Marcus Aurelius, were disregarded by the emperor. He alienated Roman sentiment by his devotion to his German troops, and although he might court popularity amongst the soldiers by permitting them to lay aside breastplate and helm and to carry the spiculum in place of the weighty pillum, Yet the favours shown to the Allans outweighed all else, and jealousy awoke disaffection amongst the legionaries. The malcontents were not long in finding a leader, Magnus Clemens Maximus, a Spaniard, who claimed kinship with Theodosius, and had served with him in Britain. Won a victory over the Picts and Scots. In spite of his protests, the Roman army in Britain held him as Augustus early in 383, and leaving the island defenceless, he immediately crossed the channel, determined to strike the first blow. From the mouth of the Rhine, where he was welcomed by the troops Maximus marched to Paris, and here he met Gratian. For five days the armies skirmished, and then the emperor's Moorish cavalry went over to the usurper in a body. Gratian saw his forces melting away and at length with 300 horsemen fled headlong for the Alps. Nowhere could he find a refuge for the cities of Gaul closed their gates at his approach. The accounts of his death are varied and inconsistent but it would seem that Andragotheus was sent by Maximus hot foot after the fugitive. At Lugdunum by a bridge over the Rhone Gratian was captured by means of a stratagem and was murdered within the city walls, assured of his life by a solemn oath and thus lulled into a false security. He was treacherously stabbed by his host while sitting at a banquet, 25th of August 383. The murderer, who was perhaps Andragotheus himself, was highly rewarded by Maximus. Forthwith, the usurper sent his chamberlain to Theodosius to claim recognition and alliance. The historian notices, as a remarkable exception to the customs of the time, that this official was not a eunuch and further states that Maximus would have no eunuchs about his court. Theodosius had planned a campaign of vengeance for the death of the young ruler to whom he owed so much but on the arrival of the embassy, he temporised. It would be dangerous for him to leave the east. In Persia, Ardashir, 379-383, had just died and the policy of the new monarch, Sir the Third three 383-388, was quite unknown. Troubles had arisen on the frontier. The nomad Saracens had broken their treaty of alliance with Rome and Richemer had marched on a punitive expedition, although the Goths were now peacefully settled on Hamus and Hebrus, and had begun to cultivate their allotted lands, although it was once more safe to travel by road, and not only by sea, yet for many years the Skyri, the Carpi, and the Huns broke ever and again across the boundaries of the empire, and gave work to the generals of Theodosius. The newly won and order in Thrace might easily have been imperiled by the absence of the emperor, with the deliberate caution that always characterised his action, save when he was seized by some gust of passion. Theodosius acknowledged his co-Augustus, and ordered statues to be raised to him throughout the east. Africa, Spain, Gaul and Britain it would seem acknowledged Maximus while even in Egypt the mob of Alexandria shouted for the western emperor. Meanwhile upon his brother's death Valentinian II began his personal rule in Italy. For the next few years Ambrose and Justina fight a long-drawn duel to decide whether mother or bishop shall frame the young emperor's policy. On Justina's death there remained no rival to challenge the influence of Ambrose. The latter was indeed throughout Valentinian's reign, the power behind the throne. Born probably in 340, the son of a Praetorian prefect of Gaul, he had been educated in Rome until in the year 374 he was appointed consularis of Amelia and Liguria. In this capacity he was present at the election, autumn 374, of a new bishop in Milan. While he was taking anxious precautions, lest the contest between Ariane and Orthodox should end in bloodshed. A child's cry, says the legend, of Bishop Ambrose, suggested a candidate whom both factions agreed to accept the city would take no refusal. Against his will, the statesman-governor became the statesman-bishop. Thus, in the winter of 383-4, to although Valentinian looked to Theodosius for help and counsel, Constantinople seemed to the court at Milan to lie at a hopeless distance, while Maximus in Gaul was perilously near. The emperor instinctively turned to Ambrose, his one powerful protector, while even Arianism forgot its feud with orthodoxy. At Justina's request, the bishop started on an embassy to secure peace between Gaul and Italy. Maximus, however, desired that Valentinian should leave Milan and that together they should consider the terms of their agreement. Ambrose objected that it was winter. How in such weather could a boy and his widowed mother cross the Alps? His own authority was only to treat for peace. He could promise nothing. Accordingly, Maximus sent his son Victor, shortly afterwards created Caesar, to Valentinian to request his presence in Gaul. But the net had been spread in the sight of the bird and Victor returned from his mission unsuccessful. When he arrived at Magontiacum, Ambrose left for Milan and met on the journey Valentinian's envoys bearing a formal reply to the proposals of Maximus. If the bishop's diplomacy had achieved nothing else, precious time had been gained, for Bauto had occupied the Alpine passes and thus secured Italy from invasion. End of section 29.